All right, last week we had to leave Joseph where? In prison. In prison, exactly right. And um, that's where he sat all week. And the reason why is because Potiphar threw him into prison when he heard that story, what his wife said about him that was false. He got angry and threw him into prison. And uh, it wasn't just any prison. It was the prison where the king kept his prisoners. And I think the reason he got thrown into that precise prison is because I think Potiphar worked at that prison. Okay? He was the captain of the guard. And we're going to see that phrase be used in today's story. And so I think Potiphar worked there possibly. But anyways, not sure what kind of prison it was like. Uh, because it was the king's prisoners, it probably was a maximum security um, I don't think they had TVs and, you know, cushy little mattresses to live in. In fact, Joseph, in today's story, he calls it a dungeon. So it must have been a pretty rough place to be. But that's where Joseph was. Now, I want us to show us something in today's passage that I've been mentioning from time to time of a phrase. We had it in today's quiz. A phrase that gets mentioned about Joseph that makes all the difference in Joseph's life. And I want us to show us. It says, but while Joseph was there in prison, let's all read this together, the Lord was with him. See that? And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Isn't that awesome? While in prison, God was still with him. Remember last week, while Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's household, God was with him and and gave him success in all that he did. And that blessing then carried over to Potiphar's household. Well, guess what? Joseph's in prison now. He's in jail. He's in a dungeon. But that doesn't change the fact that God is with him. God is still with him. And because of that, God put him in good terms with the head prison warden. And so obviously, just like Potiphar did, the head jailer goes, you know what, Joseph? I'm going to give you free reign of everything because I can see the Lord is with you and he gives you success in all that you, that you do. And so God made sure that everything he did worked out for the best. And I think that's amazing. Well, let's keep looking at the story. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officials and the chief cupbearer and the chief baker and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. There's that phrase. In the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. So while Joseph was in prison... Something happens in the royal court, the the palace. The the Bible doesn't tell us what exactly happens, but it appears that the Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker somehow tick Pharaoh off. And and I just want to stop here for a second for our kids here. Um, Kids, if you don't know what a cupbearer is, it was a very special position uh, that a person would have that he and the king would be very close In other words, what a cupbearer would do is a king would drink out of a cup, okay? He'd drink his wine and his juice and whatever it was, and the cupbearer had to guard that cup. And he would pour stuff in it, and he would give it to the king. And the reason why he would guard that cup is because a lot of people would try to kill the king by poisoning him. So while the king wouldn't be looking, they'd try to dump poison in the cup. And the cupbearer's job was to protect that cup. In fact, a lot of times... When the king, before the king would even drink out of the cup, the cupbearer would have to take a sip from the cup. And then the king would watch him to see if he would like, 
uh, pass out or die. And if he did, he wouldn't drink from the cup. But if he didn't, he knew that it was safe for him to drink from it. So that was the cup bearer's job. Now, I'm assuming you know what the baker, the king's baker would be. This is the dude that made all the royal donuts, all the royal bear claws, all the royal apple fritters and royal cream puffs, all that stuff. He was over, uh, oversaw all the baking. But somehow, these two dudes tick Pharaoh off. I don't know if the cupbearer or, you know, cupbearer maybe backwashed into the cup. I don't know. Or the baker messed up on a recipe. But whatever it is, he gets ticked and he has him thrown into prison. Okay? And the captain of the guard, which we assume is probably Potiphar, the captain of the guard puts them in Joseph's care. In other words, Joseph is the one who oversees them while they're in prison. Well, something really weird happens. Let's read. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. Well, when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. And so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, he goes, why, why do you guys look so sad today? Well, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. And so Joseph looks at him and he goes, what do you mean there's no one to interpret them? Isn't it God who gives us the interpretation to dreams? And he said, go ahead and tell me and I'll give you the interpretation. I want to stop there for a second. How in the world could Joseph look at these two men and say, go ahead and tell me your dreams. I'll give you the interpretation. How could he do that? Because why? Because God was with him. Okay? And as long as God is with him, he'll be successful in all that he does. And you know what? Joseph lived like that. Whether he was a slave in Potiphar's household or whether he was in prison, he lived with the reality that God was with him. So he knew God knows all the interpretations of every dream, and so therefore, tell me the dream. I'll give you the interpretation because God is with me. You know, as I thought about that, this couple weeks ago, I was up north, and I was reading this story and just pondering it. And the reality of how Joseph lived his life pretty, pretty much impressed me. Because, you know, it seemed that whatever Joseph did, because he knew the Lord was with him, he knew there'd be success in it. Because he did it with the Lord. And that makes me kind of think about, you know, as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, what truth do we cling to? God is with us. It's a truth that we cling to. God is with us. But I wonder how, how many of us actually live in that reality. Because if we lived in that reality where we did life with God, we, we did our job with God, you know that companies, I think, would be clamoring to hire Christians and hire followers of Jesus because they know that the Lord was with them and the Lord would guide them and give them success in what they did. But we don't see that that often. And I think the reason why is because we don't live with that reality. We just go through life all alone. We ignore God's presence. We make our own decisions. We do our own things. And then we live with our own consequences. Guys, we can't do that. Well, Joseph, he's living in this reality, and it's powerful. So Joseph tells them to share the dreams because he knows God's going to show them the interpretation. So the cupbearer goes first. He goes, well, in my dream, there was a vine in front of me with three branches on it, and it budded, and it blossomed, and the clusters ripened into grapes. And, and I was holding Pharaoh's cup, and I took the grapes, and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and gave the cup to Pharaoh. That was his dream. Now, I don't know about you, 
But as far as dreams go, that's not that weird. How many of you guys have had far weirder dreams than that? Anybody? Yeah. I'd love to hear them. We don't have time for them. And this is church. <clears throat> but I, I, dreams to me are the weirdest things ever. I remember when I was a kid, when I was your guys' age, your little kid's age, I used to dream that I could fly. Does anybody ever dream that they could fly? Isn't that the most awesome thing in the world? The only thing is, what I've heard other people say that they could fly is that they would like jump and they'd be flying around like Superman. That's not how I used to fly. I, what I would do is I'd put a towel between my legs and I would flap it and suddenly I could fly. I don't know why that ever happened in my dream, but I dream it all the time. And I would dream that we'd be playing capture the flag and people would go to chase me and I'd quickly fly over and all be gliding around. It was awesome, but weird. You guys ever have reoccurring dreams? Just happens over and over? Still to this day? Yeah. I do too. I had this weird dream that I'm going to play in a football game. And I love football, but I'm going to be in this game. There's this big game coming down, and I can't. I'm so excited to play in this football game. And, and for some reason, every single dream, I never make it into the game. Either I forget my cleats, I forget my helmet, I'm late, I get lost, I can't find it, or else I'm on the sideline, and I'm looking at the coach to put me in, and he never puts me in. And I always wake up just like, oh, one of these days, please put me in the game. I just want to be in the game. And I think eventually, if I keep dreaming this, one day the coach is going to look at me and say, you're too old, Luke. There's no way that's going to happen. So. But dreams are weird. But anyways, the cupbearer shares his dream with Joseph. And he says, man, there's this vine, three branches came out of it, and then it flowered and blossomed, and then it turned into these grape clusters, and I squeezed the grape clusters into this cup, and I handed my cup to the Pharaoh. And so Joseph goes, well, young man, here's what your dream means. The three branches are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and, and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So Joseph says, listen, here's your dream. He goes, those three branches you saw, it's three days. And within three days, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head. And I can see the cupbearer going, what do you mean by lift up my head? He's like, well, you know, you're down right now. Your head's down, you're discouraged, and he's going to lift up your head. He's going to put you back into your position of honor. And, and, and you're going to have your job back. And, and you're going to be Pharaoh's cupbearer again. I mean, it's going to be awesome. In three days, that's going to happen. And, and bro, if, if I can just encourage you, when you get your position back, if you could please, please, please remember me. I mean, mention me to Pharaoh. Do something on my behalf and, and help me because I was ripped away from my family back in the land of the Hebrews and, and I got brought here as a slave. And, and since I've been here in Egypt, I haven't done anything to deserve being put in this dungeon. And yet here I am. So please, please remember me. And I'm sure the guy was like, oh, dude, of course, Joseph. Yeah, I'll remember you, man. Three days, I'll be back there. I'll talk to Pharaoh. I'll get you out of here. Yeah, for sure. Dude, I'm so excited. This is awesome. I'm out of here. Three days. Probably looks at the baker. Dude, three days. This is awesome. And so the head baker is like, sweet daddy, I like this interpretation. This is awesome. My dream's kind of similar. I'm going to share my dream, too. So he goes this. Well, I, too, had a dream. And on my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. 
And I can imagine the, the baker being kind of like three baskets full of bread. The bread is for Pharaoh. This is going to be a good interpretation. And Joseph responds. He goes, well, young baker man, this is what it means. The three baskets are three days. And the baker's probably like, yeah, dude, three days, just like you and me, man. Three days this is awesome. Within three days, Pharaoh is going to lift off your head. See, man, he's going to lift up my head. No, I didn't say lift up. I said lift off your head. What do you mean lift off? Like, like off. It's going to come off. And he's going to impale your body on a stick. What? You know, like, like a corn dog. Kind of like that. <laughs> dude, I know the corn dog. What do you mean? How, how, what are you saying? Yeah, dude, and those, those birds eating out of the basket, that means birds are going to be eating your flesh. And I can imagine the man going, what? What are you saying, man? And kids, I know this is kind of a gruesome story, but this is in the Bible. This is what he dreamed. And, and I can imagine Joseph, like, not knowing what to say after that. It's kind of like, what do, you, what do you tell a guy after you tell him a dream and you interpret a dream like this? Like, well, guys, alrighty then, I'm going to move down to the next cell block. If, if I can't do anything more here, he moves on. And I've always wondered, what would it be like for the two guys in that cell block? How do you think the conversation would go? One guy in three days is going to be set back to his honorable position. He's going to have his job back, and he's going to be living life. One guy in three days is going to be violently murdered. How do you think those conversations went in those next three days? Well, we don't know. But one thing we do know is this. Verse 20, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. They celebrated birthdays back then. And he gave a feast for all of his officials. And he, he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to him in his interpretation. Everything that Joseph said would happen happened just as he said. The baker was killed and the cupbearer was restored back to his original position. Pretty amazing how God showed Joseph exactly what would happen in the future three days from now. But here's the cool part. The cool part is, is that the cupbearer now had his position back. And the cupbearer and the pharaoh would be like this. He would be in the presence of the pharaoh day in and day out. And so now Joseph would have somebody who would remember him, tell the Pharaoh about him, and might get him out of prison. So this is awesome stuff. Except that isn't what happened. In fact, the next verse says this. Check this out. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He what? He forgot, he forgot him. And because he forgot him, Joseph remained where? In prison. Now, can you imagine how disheartening this must have been for Joseph? Completely innocent, suffering in the middle of an Egyptian prison, miles and miles away from home and away from his family, completely forgotten. Talk about a difficult time for Joseph. Can you imagine going through this kind of hardship? Can you imagine how, how hard this must have been for him? You know, since he had left his father to go check on his brothers in the field who were taking care of the flocks, he has been going through hardship after hardship after hardship after hardship. And you know what? Some people may struggle with that. Because if God is with him, then why must Joseph suffer like that? Why does he have to go through so much hardship? 
And you know, I think that's a valid question because we all face this question at times in our lives. We all go through hardships, so much so that it can be overwhelming to us at times. And we, we wonder why. And you know, and I'm not going to stand up here and tell you the answer to the why. I can't do that. Only God can do that. But here's what I can say. I do not believe that God is always the source of our hardships. Now, I know we like to blame God. He's the one we get angry at. He's the one we chew out. He's the one who catches all of our hurt. But let me tell you, there is plenty of evil in this world that we can blame. In fact, we can blame ourselves. A lot of times we make our own mess. But there is a kingdom of darkness that is waging war against us. Evil abounds in this world. And evil people do evil things to so many people. And the hardship it, it inflicts on people is sometimes staggering. Bad things happen in a fallen world to good people. And I don't think God is up there just trying to make our lives miserable. No, hardship can come from all different things. But here's the great thing about hardship that we need to understand. And this is a promise from God. Follow my reasoning here. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. The Lord disciplines the one he what? He loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son or daughter. And so, endure hardship as discipline. You see, God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. You're not true sons or daughters at all. Now, the first thing I want us to pull from this is I want us to understand what discipline is. Because I think sometimes we mistake what discipline is and we, we give it the wrong definition. But discipline is this. It's not punishment for the sake of punishment. Okay? It's not punishment for the sake of punishment. Here's what I mean by that. In other words, punishment is given to someone when they've done something wrong. They're being punished for their actions. Then the punishment fits the crime. You did this, so you deserve that. Discipline doesn't work that way. Discipline has a purpose behind it. Discipline has an end game behind it. In other words, discipline knows that you're here, but it wants you to get here. So it's going to do whatever in your life to get you up to here. And the same, you know, it happens in sports. If you think about it with sports, if you want to be a good football player, a good baseball player, then you got to go put yourself through discipline. You have to apply yourself to weightlifting, to working out, to, to learning the, the motions. You go through all this discipline so that you can be way up here, so that you can be a good player. And you know what? It's not fun to go through this down here, but you have to do it. Discipline it just it always has an end game to get us somewhere. And you know what? The same applies to life. Discipline is hard. But it brings good into our life. And so what I want you to see is that discipline isn't just punishment for the sake of punishment. It's not like you, you did the crime, so we're going to punish you for it. No, discipline is training. And according to this verse, God disciplines those he loves. He trains those he loves. God is going to put you through training. And so look at what it says there in verse 7. It says, endure hardship as discipline. You see that? When we're going through a hardship, no matter what it is, we're to endure it or go through it as if it were discipline. We're to go through it like it's a training course. And while God may not have brought that hardship upon us, the Lord can still use it for good. 
He can use that hardship to train us. Whatever hardship it may be, God can use it to train us. And we need to approach every single hardship in our life like that. Not like God is punishing us. Not like we messed up and God is bringing the hammer down. No, God can use this hardship in our lives to truly make us better. That's what God does. Amen? Amen. He disciplines those he loves. And so we need to treat that hardship in our life as discipline, as training. God is training us because he loves us. Now, why is he training us? Let me show you the remainder of this verse, this passage in Hebrews. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. Later on, however, it produces the harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see that? Discipline isn't fun at the time. Not at all. It's hard. It's a pain. There are times where we just want to give up. We, we want to quit. And trust me, the kingdom of darkness would want nothing more than for you to quit. Because it wants to use this hardship to destroy us. And facing this hardship is incredibly difficult. But if we keep our focus on the truth that God loves us and that he can and will use the situation we're in to train us, if we remain in the training, it will produce in us a harvest of righteousness and peace. Think about that. Now, who here wants to be righteous? Then guess what? we got to go through hardship. You know one thing you'll never see in the Bible? You'll never say, see it written in Scripture where it says, if you want to be righteous, live a cushy, easy, pleasing little life, and you'll come out righteous. doesn't say that. It says you have to endure what? Hardship. Hardship. When we've been trained by it, it produces the harvest of righteousness and peace in our life. So treat every hardship that you go through as discipline, as training. And trust God in the midst of it because he will use it to produce in you a life of righteousness. That is a promise. The enemy wants to use it for evil in your life, but God can and will use it for good. Amen? All right, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to answer out loud. Is God with Joseph? Yes. Okay. Does God love Joseph? Yes. Okay. And so if God disciplines those he loves, and he tells us to endure hardship as discipline, or endure every hardship as training, what is God doing for Joseph in the midst of these hardships? He's what? He's training him, exactly. And why is God training Joseph? So that what? So he can be blessed from peace in his life. Okay, so that it will produce a harvest of what? Righteousness. Righteousness and peace in his life. You see, God is preparing Joseph to be an incredible leader who will do great things. And so while we're going to leave Joseph in prison another week here, we can rest in the fact that God is doing something in his life in a very powerful way. He's training him and he's preparing him for a great future that he needs, for, needs him for. And you know what, guys? Third service, he wants to do the same for us. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what hardship that you're in the middle of. But it's a hardship. That's why the word hard is in it. It's hard. 
And it may be the most difficult thing that you've ever had to go through. It may feel like you're in prison year after year after year, and it feels like maybe you've even been completely forgotten. And it just keeps going on and on, and it seems like it's never going to end. I want to say this to you. I want you to cling to these truths, and I mean cling to them. Do not let them go, because it may be the very thing that gets you through it. You are God's child. And he loves you. He loves you so much. And you know what? God only disciplines those he loves. You see, he wants you here, not here. And as long as we're in this world, we're going to face hardship after hardship after hardship. And while the enemy wants to use it to destroy you, here's what I want to encourage you to do instead. Treat this hardship as discipline, not punishment. As discipline, as training. And while this hardship or this discipline is hard at the moment, you need to know that God is producing in you a harvest of righteousness and peace because God can and he will work all things for good. Amen? Amen. And that's a truth you can cling to. So let's cling to it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this story that's thousands of years old and yet the principles of it are as true today as they were then. And God, you know every person's life. You know where we're at. You know the hardships we're facing. And God, it is so tempting to numb the hardships, to run from the hardships, to escape the hardships. But God, your word says that it will produce a harvest of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So while it may be tempting to run from it, God, help us to just go through it, to endure it as discipline. And allow you to do the work, the transforming work of seeing righteousness being built up in us. And God, that's our desire. We want to be more and more righteous because we know that the more righteous we become, the more we look like Jesus. And that's all we want. We want to look like Jesus. We want to act like Jesus. We want to speak like Jesus. So do that work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, love you so very, very much. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you next Sunday.